So we've been talking war and peace. How many of you were here last week? So, okay, most of you. Some of you weren't. So I'm going to do a really quick review. Uh, and if you were here, I started last week in Proverbs 22 and verse 28. It says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And that's a simple verse, but it's, imp- it's an important verse because it's really really what we're looking at is, is landmarks that the Lord's already given us. We're not, there's nothing new under the sun. And so we're just watching some things play out in history. And so one of the things we're trying to do is take the events transpiring in the world and the events that are unfolding in God's prophetic timeline leading to the day of the Lord and, and bring that together in a way that gives us a framework. Uh, and so uh, about, I don't know, however many, on the, in 2014, I, I did a whole series called Code Red. Uh, and th- that was, of course, had to do with uh, the expansion of Russia into Crimea. They'd already gone into Georgia and so uh, Putin was a bad guy back then. He's still a bad guy now. And, and so we just took some time, talked about that. Uh, and so really this is Code Red 2, right? And it's just a little different. It's the same thing, different day. You got Russia, Ukraine, USA, Persia, all that in prophecy. And uh, it says March 9th because that's when we started the study. Uh, and we started it last week. So we talked last time about, um, uh, you know, the uh, framework uh, and not removing the landmarks of the Word of God. There we go. So we talked about the framework in which we view, uh, you know, history. And in regard to the current events that are taking place now, um, we talked about how important Israel was. We talked about how important the city of Jerusalem was um, and is, not was, is, was and is and will be. And then also we brought in some ancient uh, nations like Persia and uh, how uh, important they have been to prophecy uh, ever since the Babylonian kingdom uh, fell. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, so I don't want to give too much away. Um, and so we, with that framework, we started. We went back and looked at the Persian Empire of 500 B.C. Um, uh, and, of course, we know uh, Babylon preceded that in the book of Daniel, um, and then the Persians took over. And what a lot of people don't know is they had a successive monarchy until the Shah of Iran. And so uh, they have had the longest, one of the longest monarchies on the planet up until uh, fairly contemporary events in the 1900s occurred. And I'll talk more about that here in just a moment as well without getting into all the distinctions there. Uh, We talked a little bit last week about the character of that nation, the religion, the language, a little bit of the history going back to Cyrus, 539, and when they attacked Babylon and the fulfilled prophecy there. Um, This... uh, This victory first brought the Persians into contact with the Jews. There's a lot in the Bible about Persians and Jews. I'll talk a little bit more about that tonight as well. Uh, Of course, biblically, we understand that um, uh, Ezra was um, and Nehemiah were were contemporaries of of, uh, these these uh, Persian leaders. So Cyrus's policy uh, ended up establishing the temple, uh, and then Darius's policy ended up. Uh, building the the, uh, the walls. And so Ahasuerus, Darius succeeded Xerxes and Ahasuerus of Esther. And uh, Artaxerxes, the son of Xerxes, reigned for 40 years after his death. And it's beyond doubt that the king of that name who stood in such friendly relationship toward Ezra uh, and Nehemiah um, was one of the last Persian kings who had that special connection with the Jews um, and he was the last one mentioned in Scripture. So there was a time when, uh, you know, the head of the Persian Empire was was super, I mean, his right-hand man was Nehemiah, right? So when you see Nehemiah and you talk about you don't come before the king, 
with a sad countenance and all that. Who are we talking? Who's he coming before? Well, Darius, the Persian king, right? And that's the one who cleared the deck and said, hey, go on back and, and uh, get those walls built, Nehemiah. And so, uh, so that kind of puts some context to all of that. Um, and so, uh, you know, just like Nebuchadnezzar had, not only Nebuchadnezzar, but of course, uh, Daniel lived through past Nebuchadnezzar. He lived past his uh, uh, Belteshazzar. He went all the way also into the Babylonian or I mean the Persian kings. So God has strategically placed, like Henry Kissinger, these key Jewish leaders in these places at key times, in this case in 500, 536 B.C., to, to reestablish Israel in the land and fulfill the prophecies uh, that ended up being fulfilled after that. So I touched on all that last time. I'm not going to rehash all that in any great detail. We also went back to Genesis uh, chapter 10, and uh, we spoke about... This uh, the historic origins of of the sons of Shem, Ham, and Japheth in particular, uh, Japheth's sons Gomer, Magog, um, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. We didn't get into all the other ones as much as we spoke a little bit more about Gomer and Magog, because that's the prophecies that we are you know really focusing on. So I've added that fourth uh, name. Now Magog is a was a person, um, but that becomes a region of people. Right, just like Israel was a person, right? It was the, it was the the name of Jacob. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel, but is and then Israel is also a nation, right? So Magog is a similar situation. Uh, going back to Genesis chapter ten, and this is pretty. I mean, this isn't like uh, this isn't like the Book of Mormon, you know, like where you cannot find these people groups and all of that. I mean, this isn't like some make believe. The the the, the heritage of of uh, these people groups are very well traced. I actually was reading some more on this since last week and uh, just kind of just reading more. And, you know, there's so much out there. And uh, it's it's amazing. Like in the even today in the tongue of the, uh, I believe it's the Turks, um, one of the tongue, I, I may get the, the nation wrong, but one of the, the people groups to this very day, if you just look at the etymology of their words, still identifies these people groups with their biblical origins. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, so there's just a lot of, it's just really cool how all that works. And so we, we talked about Magog at some length and uh, talked about where that's going. I'm going to talk more about, about this tonight. Um, and before I jump to that, well, let me jump to that and I'll jump back to this. So we talked about the origins of these nations and, um, and how those nations grew into what we see on this map. How the, uh, this, is a, this little laser beam actually works up here. So how you see the Japhethites. Uh, ended up up here, and right here you can barely see it, but it's that's Magog, those people groups, and they fanned out across this region, um, and then you have Gomer over here. Um, you see that, which is you know that's Ukraine, Romania, the Roma people there. Um, of course, Rome. Without getting into too much European history, it's pretty interesting that just that region right here, uh, which is where all the 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 partying's been going on for the last couple thousand years. Um, uh, as as the uh, the Muslims have tried to push up into Europe, so Romania and Ukraine have been really strategic, as well as as well as of course Greece. The Greece Grecians are the ones who stopped the Persians, and then of course Alexander the Great, uh, Great rose up, and uh, and so uh, then later on, uh, up until the 1900s, we we're talking about last week. Then the Ottoman Empire, which you don't learn a lot about, it took all most of this area in northern Africa. So. Anyway, this has been the, you know, obviously all the geopolitical activity of the world centers right around Israel. 
And I think most of you know that, but if you don't, you learn something tonight. If you want to know anything about anything about geopolitical activity, always find out what God is doing here in Israel. Because it really is about God's chosen people and his chosen city and his plan for Israel. All the other Gentile powers are just rotating around that, so to speak. And so, um, <clears throat> I have so much to get through, so just bear with me as I process, chunk through voluminous amounts of information, even in my own brain. So, uh, so historically, you guys, without getting into too much detail that we've already covered, I mentioned last week the importance of the establishment, the establishment of Israel, and um, I didn't have this, I had this in my notes, so I didn't have it on my slide. Uh, this is, you know, an important article of history. Uh, it says here, the government has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in uh, Palestine, and in recognition has been requested by the uh, provisional government thereof. The United States recognizes provisional government as the de facto authority of the, uh, and then Harry Truman marked it out, State of Israel. Harry Truman, May 14, 1948. And so uh, May, May 14th of 1918, or 1980, 2018, um, uh, 1918 was when they got the land. Uh, 1948 is when God gave them, uh, you know, statehood. Uh, they didn't go back in 1918 in World War One. That was at the end of World War One. God prepared the land for the Jews, but the Jews were not willing to go back. So 1948, obviously, after the persecution suffered under under uh, Hitler, they were ready to go back. And uh, as Randy pointed out last week, they were at war immediately. Um, upon establishing this nation. God's taken care of them and uh, provided for them. And uh, we've had some soldiers even in this room, well, not really in this room, but some soldiers that were part of our church at one time that were actually in Israel in the 80s. You remember, remember when they got our Marines got bombed? And so uh, there was a special forces fellow I knew that was there, and he said, man, those Jewish soldiers were bad boys when they were coming up into Lebanon. You did not get in their way, even if you were American, because uh, they didn't. They didn't care about anybody. They just, you get in their way, you're in trouble. So there's some, there's some very vicious fighters there in, in uh, Israel, and, um, and God will take care of them. But the point is simply this. Uh, God used our, own very, our very own Harry Truman here from, uh, you know, Truman Corners up here in Grandview and Lamar down the street and Independence in this whole region. So uh, a guy, as I talked about last week, that uh, Joseph Stalin thought was a goofball and... Um, and he thought Joseph Stalin was like uh, Pendergast. And uh, Pendergast was a bad boy, but he didn't even touch as bad as uh, Stalin was, a wicked, wicked fellow. And, uh, and so, uh, but because God's good, the old Baptist, God gave Harry Truman favor and gave him the nuclear bomb first, or the atomic bomb, I should say, rather. And, uh, and so uh, when they were negotiate, negotiating over the, uh, uh, the end of World War II, uh, Harry Truman had the edge, and uh, and so that precipitated, though, getting back to where we're going with Putin, what did that precipitate? Uh, what happened immediately after World War II between Russia and the United States? Yeah, the Cold War. And I, that Most of us, looking at the age of everybody here, we need to bring the high school in here so they can learn this stuff, because so, that's no longer taught in school probably. But, uh, but we all know the Cold War commenced, I mean immediately, right? And then you had Winston Churchill. How many remember where he came to give his Iron Wall speech? Fulton, Missouri, that's right, Westminster uh, uh, University or college over here in Fulton, Missouri. 
And uh, they still got a pulpit there, a lectern, I should say, rather, because uh, he wasn't preaching. And he delivered that famous address, and the, and the term iron, uh, the iron curtain was born. And, uh, and so we commenced on that until Gorbachev in the 80s and, and uh, you know, uh, in Berlin when, when uh, Ronnie Reagan went over there and said, you know, Mikhail Gorbachev, tear down this wall, you know, and kind of mocking a little bit, putting a thumb in the eye of, uh, of uh, Khrushchev who, you know, took his shoe off and did all that stuff and beat on the pulpit and said death to America or whatever he did. I don't remember all the details. But at any rate, you know, it was very tense. And I think most of us here remember that. Uh, or might some of you might be a little too young to remember the whole, you know, nuclear threat, you know, the last day and all that kind of stuff we lived under for years. And it was real. I mean, um, it was assured mutual destruction. And there really were nuclear warheads all over the land. Uh, and there was a lot of them, you know, and so I used to count them on my way to the Lake of the Ozarks in those fields, you know, those little silos that they had everywhere, and, uh, you know, you think about one of those going off, let alone, you know, a whole party of five or a party of 500, you know, then it's over, and so we lived under that until the 80s, and uh, that picks me up to where I left off, so let me pick up where I left off, so, um, and so as World War II came to a close, um, there was this great division between Europe in Europe, I should say, rather, between the Russians and the Allies, which was led by the United States. So Winston Churchill's famous Iron Curtain speech uh, that was given in Fulton, Missouri, established the framework, because we're talking about framework, for what we call the Cold War and the nuclear arms race that lasted until the 1980s when President Reagan uh, was credited to bring Russia to its knees. Now, Russia uh, was not known uh, for... I'm sorry, Russia, who was known for being strong and, and having brutal leaders... Uh, over their communist socialist empire, was transformed overnight to a Western-friendly, kinder, general, uh, gentler federation. By the way, to the chagrin of, of uh, uh, Putin, Putin did not really care for that because he he was all in as a KGB guy, and so he was actively working in Berlin when all of that went down. So he wasn't a happy camper. Uh, but dictators uh, before Gorbachev, like Stalin and Nikita Khrushchev. And, and as I mentioned last week, uh, Leonardo Brezhnev, uh, who looked, he kind of looked like Bert, or I don't know which one, Bert and Ernie. You ever, if you ever saw Sesame Street, they have these like unibrows, man. I mean, big, thick ones. That was, that was Brezhnev, man. He had this unibrow that, I mean, when you're a little kid watching TV, that is scary at night. I mean, you're like, that guy looks scary with that big unibrow. Big head, big unibrow, big, scary looking Russian fella. And, uh, and, and so anyway, um, they had the, they had these intimidating, at least personas. Um, and and by the way, Stalin was no joke. He was a he was a cold stone murderer and killer. I mean, he did not have any compassion. And so um, so all of a sudden, Glasnost is, occurs, and you got Mikhail Gorbachev, which I should have put a picture of him in here. And uh, and we were transformed transformed overnight. And uh, in Russia, and all of a sudden, they had this other fellow that followed Gorbachev because he got, you know, booted out quickly because uh, he was too nice. And this guy, Boris Yeltsin, uh, takes over. And Boris was a nice guy, but he was a drunk, you know, constantly drunk. And, um, and from 2000 to this day, uh, that's when the, the newly created Russian Federation, controlled by Vladimir Putin, uh, the KGB operative, went into effect. Putin, along with his sidekick, Dmitry Medved, had locked down control of the Russian Federation, um, you know, for the past 22 years as Putin serves as, uh, uh, I don't know if it's his second or third term or whatever, but the guy just goes on and on. I mean, 
it just every other year, I mean, every time there's an election, he figures out a way to stay in office, you know, which is, that's, he's a dictator in essence. So, uh, so while we don't know, and this is, I want to be clear about this, we don't know if Putin is the Gog that leads Magog, because Gog is a title, it's not necessarily, it is a person, but it's not necessarily a person as much as a title, right? It's like the prince, right? Or the, the, the prince of peace is Jesus, and then there's a, another prince that's coming that's going to be the Antichrist. So, Gog is representing the leader of this, these people that will certainly come uh, from that region uh, up here, Magog, and down through this uh, through the Caspian Sea, and so um, and so uh, there could be another guy. We don't know. Time time will tell. It's highly likely it is him, but we don't know. Time will reveal the person, <clears throat> as we certainly see the process and the seat of power that could certainly be used to influence the world. Now, when I actually wrote this the first time, I was talking about what was going on in Georgia. Well, we were talking about what was going on in Crimea, actually. I was fired up personally about Georgia. I was just, as a, as a, just as an American, not as a Christian. But the Georgian people are just, um, well, they were Western friendly. They're good folk, it seemed like. And I just hated the fact that Putin, he did the same thing. So he's like doing nothing new. You know, he did the same thing in Crimea that he did before Crimea, he did it in Georgia, and he'll do it everywhere he can as long as he can get away with it. And so, uh, so the Cold War may have been lost, but the influence of the Russian Federation has made a strong resurgence, uh, even during President Bush, and it got stronger under Obama administration. Of course, he was on the phone with Putin making deals. They caught that on TV. You know, he's over there, wait, lad, I'll, I'll get with you later, right? So one communist to the other. So, um, and so. Uh, the events of September 11, 2001, led to a, a, a partnership with Russia against the common enemy of terrorism. Uh, and so we did grow kind of close uh, in regard to that. There was a common enemy in regard to terrorism and the war on terror. And a lot of people forget that, I mean, when it comes to proxy wars, we weren't just fighting China like in Vietnam, um, and we were, or South North Korea at the Chosen Reservoir, which that was a hot war because we were fighting Chinese regulars there, uh, or in uh, in Central America, right, or in Cuba, um, but also you know uh, in Afghanistan, and so uh, and so we were you know Afghanistan we supplied those those tow missiles to the uh, to those Afghan rebels and they blew those those uh, those helicopters right out of the sky. And uh, those, and it demoralized the Russian military, and they eventually lost. And uh, and so Afghanistan has been a, it's not a place you ever want to fight a war. I mean, you're, you're not wise to go try to go in there and take over because those guys, that's what they live for. <laughs> I mean, they, they've been at war for centuries. And so, um, so the, the Russians, uh, you know, lost uh, by a well-funded, you know, effort by the um, Americans. And Charlie Wilson's War, that that Hollywood movie, was a, a little bit about that which tries to make, you know, Christians look out, you know, like warmongers, by the way, but that's another story. And so, and so September 11th brought this kind of a camaraderie there a little bit because of the war and terror. Uh, but today our primary supply lines to Afghanistan theater uh, were through Russia. Um, and so we have, we've had, we had, uh, not anymore, but we had air bases in, um, in Russia and uh, and our life's blood de- depended on a good relationship with Russia. So we were actually supplying some of our troops out of Russia. That wasn't very long ago. 
uh, but a lot of things have changed even since 2014. Um, and so, uh, of course, now, what's in Af- speaking of Afghanistan and the war on terror, we have left um, a huge amount of armament uh, against protocol, by the way. We didn't destroy our stuff. Guys that were destroying that stuff got in trouble. So that makes you kind of scratch your head and go, what? What's going on over here? You know, we didn't, it wasn't an orderly exit. And I'm not trying to get political, by the way, for, before YouTube turns me off. Um, this is not political. This is just history. You know, I'm just telling the way it is. And, and so we left all of that armament there. Everyone knows it. Everybody in the world knows it. Doesn't matter what party you're in. And we just booked, right? And, and so, um, so there's all this equipment there now in the hands of these, 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 uh, these people who hate Israel. They hate Israel. Uh, and there's also, by the way, what's also left in Afghanistan. And, and by the way, and I'm not, I'm not for just so everybody knows here. I'm not like, I'm not pro or con. I don't care about uh, like the the minerals in Afghanistan because that's ultimately what it's. I think a lot of it's about the rare earth minerals that you find in Balto, China. Uh, if you want another huge deposit of it, you just go to Afghanistan. They have found monster. I've read this on uh, online, so it must be true um, that. Uh, but I've actually, this isn't like in the news. You just got to like research it. But you can find that there's rare earth minerals in Afghanistan. And now China has taken that on. So Afghanistan and China are close. And I'm sure Russia's getting in on that deal. But I think China's the one that uh, was the primary operative in getting a hold of those rare earth minerals. So they're making a deal, I'm sure, with the Taliban or whoever's running the show over there now. So they can get those rare, rare earth minerals. What are those rare earth minerals necessary for? Does anybody know? Yeah. All the computer technology that uh, we need to have to operate uh, our leashes. So um, and so, uh, so there's a lot of a lot of action over there, a lot of transaction that's gone on, and uh, and so um, <clears throat> so in addition to the war on terror, uh, which has sort of come to a close, kind of, but not really. Um, the the it brought former enemies to this common economic interest in a place called Iraq. And we touched on this last week. I didn't get into it in a lot of detail, but Iraq was a nation that the United States supported heavily in Iran in the 1980s as they fought tenaciously alongside, uh, I'm sorry, along the border of Iran uh, and Iraq. At that time, the U.S. supported Saddam Hussein as he brought together the Sunni and Shia factions against the uh, Cold War enemies that held our hostages during the Carter administration. How many of you remember that? Anybody not know what I'm talking about? So some of you may not remember but back in the in the seventies, I think it was, uh, uh, the Iranians. When and I'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment. They the Iranian regimes, as it turned over, they got a bunch of radical Muslims in there, and uh, they took Americans hostage. And we and uh, is when President Carter was in, and um, and it just became this daily thing on the news. Americans held hostage, and then to put insult to injury, we, uh, the president ordered in some special ops to to extract them. And then, the, like, they got caught in a sandstorm or something. The, the helicopter went down. It just became a debacle. It made us, you know, it was just bad optics. And it just made us look even weaker. And so, I mean, my mom, the day that I remember this, if mom, if you're watching, you may not remember this, but I remember the day I was, I was in the living room the day that, uh, I think it was soon after the inauguration of, of, uh, of uh, Reagan. I mean, the fix was in. As soon as Reagan got elected, man, they were out because they had already probably told him, we're coming. And uh, whatever, and and so they released the hostages uh, soon after. And man, I can remember sitting in the living room watching my mom cry 
you know, seeing those hostages come out of there and they were blindfolded or whatever, and then they put them on the plane and all of that. I don't remember all the details. Uh, I do remember a lot of images of them being blindfolded and such. And it was really, you know, it was hard. If you were an American back in those days and you knew what was going on to watch, to watch, you know, that go on. And, and, and it was really tense. And so um, soon after that, uh, we supplied Saddam Hussein. <laughs> I mean, uh, that dude went to war with Iran and uh, they just butchered each other. And as it ended up, uh, the mighty Persian Empire could not overcome Iran, or should I say, I should say Iraq. Uh, but of course, we created our own monster there uh, because we we made that guy very strong, and uh, and then he decided that he was going to go it alone, and and uh, and we didn't like that. And so there comes the Gulf War series, which you guys are all familiar with. So that's a little bit of contemporary history leading up to that. Um, I think I'm pretty orthodox. I mean, I'm like I'm not going out. I'm not, I'm really not giving you my opinions on all that. That's just kind of what happened. So the history of Iran, of Iran is worthy of note as well. Now, the reason I'm bringing Iran up is because of Persia. It's been under the control of the Ayatollahs since 1979, and prior to that, it, it, was, it celebrated 2,500 consecutive years of monarchs going back to Cyrus the Great, which is now ties me back into where I was earlier. 2,500 years, and that is a long time of continual power. Um, and so, uh, and of course, Persians, by the way, if you know any Persians, they take pride in, in who they are. I had a, a friend, uh, Nader Afzali, over here in Overland Park, and he's a Persian, right? And, uh, and he's a good, he's a, he was a computer guy. And uh, Nader, you know, super proud to be an Iranian, but not an Iranian. He's proud to be a Persian. Persians are a proud people. Uh, they kind of see themselves ethnically as a little bit kind of better, you know. It's sort of like if you're a Mexican, no offense uh, to anybody I'm about to offend, but if you're if you're a Mexican, and this isn't right, so I, I'm going to preface this. This is not right, but it is accurate. They kind of look down on Central Americans. Like, oh, well, we're Mexicans, and you're Central Americans, right? So that's kind of how Persians are. I mean, uh, they're, they're, we're Persians, you're Arabs. You know, they kind of see themselves as a little bit more sophisticated because they've had 2,500 years of monarchy and have literally at times ruled the bulk of the world, you know, and from Cyrus uh, forward. And, and they had a lot to do uh, with a lot of world events, as, as we know. Um, and so, you know, remembering what we saw earlier, I mean, that's a big map. You know, that's before jets. <laughs> those dudes were, you know, those guys, those guys had a lot of influence in the Middle East. And at that time in the world, they're, over, they're all the way over there, um, you know, in Greece. Of course, that's where it stopped, and Alexander the Great rose up. But, but uh, at any rate, <clears throat> um, so they had this, they kind of have this national pride. Now, and again, with anything, I'm being general. There's, today, there's a revival in Iran. And, and so there's a lot of brothers in Iran getting persecuted heavily. So when we look at these things, we look at it through a different lens because we understand people are people, Gentiles are Gentiles, everyone needs to be saved, right? That's bottom line. So I'm not talking about this in the context of the body of Christ. I'm talking about more in just geopolitical, historical, and kingdom of heaven context in relation to the Bible. Spiritually, let me just put a parenthesis here. We do need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Iran. There is a a lot of good things going on in Iran with the gospel, as in China, as in a lot of these countries, as in Russia, right? 
And so we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in all of these places because we have a, we serve a, a higher higher cause and a higher kingdom. So that does always need to temper everything we say uh, because at the end of the day we win. And so um, and so uh, and so the Shah of Iran came into power in 1941 after his father was ousted by a Soviet Anglo invasion that nationalized the oil of Iran. Okay, so. We're getting back to oil. That's that's if you you might have heard that in the air recently in the news cycle, right? Oil, oil's a big deal. It's the fuel. The economy runs on it. I made a I made a comment. I sent you guys a bunch of emails last week after the Bible study about how the because I, I found after the Bible study some of us didn't know how intricately tied our American dollar is and the reserve currency to Petro, and that's the system set up by the United States, which has helped us win uh, after World War II especially, to be a dominant uh, powerhouse economically to this day. I mean, even to this day, as when it comes to the economy. Um, now, we credit it oftentimes to the, you know, these, these shrewd moves and all of that. But in reality, it's the residue of the revivals of the 17, 1800s that has allowed these peoples to be free and have the ideas that we have that has made our country great. It's Jesus Christ that has blessed us and judged us, uh, like in the Civil War, and so, um, and so, you know, we are we are far from, um, you know, pristine as a nation. So just be careful with that as well, and uh, make sure we understand that if we are blessed by God, God has blessed the USA, and we should give Him honor and praise and thanksgiving. And He has uniquely put this country in a position economically to influence the world, uh, and we should primarily be doing that with missionaries and the gospel. That's really what we should be doing is getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. But that's another story, but not really. It all goes together. But from a geopolitical perspective, in 1941, um, the U.S., uh, when this happened with the Soviet invasion uh, and the oil situation, the U.S. and Britain supported the overthrow and the installation of the Shah, who was the rightful successor of the monarchy. So from a, mon- from a monarchy perspective, what happened is America and the West, led by America, they supported the Shah, who was a rightful monarch to the historic chain going all the way back to Cyrus, and they put him back in play, right? So it was like, yeah, you know, if you were a Persian, you're like, we're back in charge, get those Ruskies out of here, you know? And uh, it's it's not too different from Afghanistan, right? Where, uh, you know, one day we're helping the Afghanis beat off the Russians, and then, you know, a decade or so later, now we're in here fighting the same guys. And so that's how geopolitical activity works because Japhethites, they like to fight. That's what they do. They, they've, been, they've been doing it um, uh, since, you know, Noah got off the ark. So, uh, and so that's pretty much how it rolls. And so the U.S. and Britain have this overthrow and the Shah was installed, which you would think would be a great thing. There's only pro- the only problem with uh, reinstating him through this military coup was the Shah was Western friendly. And not only was he Western friendly, he was Israel friendly. And so uh, now that became a problem. Remember the big, the big landmarks, Israel, Jerusalem, right, Persia? So you're in the heart of it. You're in Persia. You've got this guy in charge. Sounds like a good deal. He's connected to your monarchs. The problem is this guy wants to be Cyrus, king of Persia, and he wants to be friends with the Jews. Who's that going to honk off? Who? Why, why, though? What makes him enemies? 
religious opposition, particularly what religion? Islam, exactly. So 600 A.D., I forgot to mention that. 600 A.D., we have a, a thing arise uh, called uh, Islam, right? We have uh, Muhammad and all of that, and it spreads across in the, a lot of the battles in the Ottoman Empire, and we can go into a lot of history. But by the time you get to 1941 and all of these transactions, Islam has a firm grip in, uh, in Iran or former Persia. And so it is, they are not happy that this guy who's connected to the West, even though he's connected historically to the rightful monarchy, is wanting to be King Cyrus or King Darius and be buddies with Israel. They're like, no way. And therein lies the rest of the story. So, so with the Ayatollah's rise in prominence, because he was a Muslim, the Shah, being Western-friendly, just continued to radicalize, accidentally, uh, the Muslims in his kingdom. And so uh, the, the Westernized Iran allowed the international oil companies back in, which fueled the Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, his rise to prominence. So in 1979, when the Shah was deposed by the radical Ayatollah's Islamic movement, uh, leading to that 444-day Iranian hostage crisis over a year, um, they had the hostages, which extended, which ended on the exit of President Carter and the entrance of Ronald Reagan, as I mentioned uh, formerly. So the crisis in Iran is called the conquest of the American spy den. That's what they called it. Um, so they said this was a, a spy, you know, thing, and and it was a conquest, and and so we have uh, not had good relations with Iran since then been a long, long time. So the relationship with uh, Israel has been growing even colder, uh, um, and so we, we, we'll talk about that more in just a minute. So there are some geopolitical things here that definitely we need to keep an eye on. So if you look at the map, uh, you'll see a clear line of Russia versus the USA in the Cold War uh, when we supported the Afghan nationals who destroyed the Russian army invading from the north. And the USA supplied those surface-to-air missiles I mentioned that routinely demoralized the Russians. The USA lost a friend in the Shah and gained an enemy uh, backed by Russia in Iran after 1979. And that conflict was played out in the deserts of Iraq as the Cold War, Cold War went hot under the leadership of the USA-backed Saddam Hussein and the oil that Europe could not get from Iran could be supplied from a place called Iraq. And we made sure that under Hussein, in spite of himself, that Europe got a hold of that, that, that oil. Okay, hopefully that's kind of setting a little bit of background of what's going on even today with oil. Oil's a big deal. So in Europe, the former satellites all clamor to the EU uh, so they can get the financial support of the EU and the military support of the United States through NATO uh, should Russia want to annex them as they have in Crimea as they are doing today in... Uh, now, the first time I talked about this, it, was, it could happen, and now it is happening. So you just fast-forward the tape, and what we were talking about could happen is what we're talking about, which is why we're talking about it again, part two. So it's Georgia all over again, now it's Ukraine, and how far will it go? Well, we don't know. And so, um, so this, would this would... Now, I need to make a statement here that is, is new... Uh, it's an old statement, but it needs to be re refreshed um, because these these pipe these countries like Iraq and Romania become increasingly important as the pipelines that fuel Europe across the Black Sea and go through their border countries. 
This would also include Ukraine, which has always been a bit more Russian than Romanian, right? Um, and Hungary. So really, you, if you look at Hungary, Romania, and you look at um, uh, Ukraine, those are some really important countries. Of course, Poland, um, and they're, they're nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. Uh, they don't want Russia going any further past Belarus. So that tension, that Cold War tension, uh, is still there. It's, 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 it's reemerging, so to speak. Um, and so what does that have to do with anything? I'm glad you asked. It has, to do, it has everything to do with it. Before I move on, though, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here because I've got to show you something. And I hope I'm not going to get anyone in trouble here. I mean, it, this is news. I'm not going to tell you how I source this for the re- reason I just I don't want anyone to know. But um, you can find it. I've got my slides out of order. This is a, this is a real thing. There's a, you can find this on the Internet if you look it up. It's not widely. Uh, this is just from, I don't know if I have the date on it. But it's uh, that there's the website link. Um, but anyway, a few it's it's not in English because it's not to us. But just a few weeks ago, uh, they were saying that this guy that's Zelensky. You know this guy. See that picture there? That's blacked out there, and then it's got a painting here. Um, but anyway, they're saying that he's hiding in in a place called Brashov, Romania. That he flew in there, and that's where he's hiding. Um, you know. That's crazy, number one. They don't even have an airport to fly into there. They're building one, but it's not built. Um, and so there's no airport for him to fly into. And, and he's not in Brasov, Romania. So why would, why would the Ruskies put that out? Huh? Yeah? Mo- ah, that gives them an excuse to go after somebody in Romania, doesn't it? So it makes those romantic, and it definitely upsets Romanians because they don't want the Ruskies. If there's a group of people that don't want Russians in town, it is the Romanians because going back to you know the days of the old Cold War, well, and the Hot War. So um, and so, <clears throat> so that's going on today, right? So if you think whatever you hear on the news, which you never know what's what anymore, I can tell you that's true, and and so don't don't you know. You know, old Vlad is a bear. Don't, don't, you don't play with, don't pet him on the ears. You know, he'll bite you. Yeah, he'll bite your arm off. So he really does, if he given the chance, I do think he would be happy to expand. And I think morally he feels justified, you know, uh, to expand uh, Russia as he would want to do and, you know, put a buffer between him and Europe and the, and the, and the NATO partners and all that stuff. So, so what does that have to do with any, anything? Well, everything. From a geopolitical perspective, the Cold War. Is, is the old war that's still being played out. And it still includes Iraq and Afghanistan and Europe and Asia and Central and South America. Everything that you know I've mentioned is, is simply cliff notes and can be greatly expanded onto for hours and days on end. So I don't have time for all of that, but there's a reason we fought wars in Central America and Vietnam and Pakistan and, and India. There's a reason right now Pakistan and India are at odds. I mean, it's there's a lot of saber-rattling going on even there. So while all this looks like superpowers and alliances struggling for dominance and sovereignty, it's really just the wrestling of principalities and powers that have been at it since the time of Daniel, going all the way back to Daniel and the, and the prophecies that, that he uh, gave. So to keep it all straight, which is somewhat hard to do, we've got to go back to our, our framework, right? Remember what we talked about? You've got to go back to Israel. And you got to remember, what's God doing there with Israel? Well, I'm glad you asked. So the nation of Israel has been at the center 
of these moves since they were taken into captivity under, under Nebuchadnezzar. So God promised a seed uh, to and through Abraham in Genesis 12, and he promised a kingdom to David, and he established its footprint under Solomon. And it went south uh, from there as Solomon fell into idolatry, and Israel divided and did not stand. So God was patient through the hundreds of years up to 606 B.C. when he finally allowed his remnant of Israel and the holy city Jerusalem to be taken over by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. God gave uh, light to Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and the minor prophets, to men like Daniel as well. And it can't be over because God doesn't lie. But how will his promises be fulfilled? How can God overcome Israel's disobedience? The prophecies concerning the last days in Daniel are the answer to the question. The birth of Christ notwithstanding, the end was written before it began. And so God used a Babylonian king to bless Israel, a Persian king, and he preserved through Esther the children of Israel in the realm of the Persians as well. And it is believed that many Persians are actually mixed Jewish descent. There are some theories that even the former president, Ahmoud Abinajad, is the offspring of Israeli immigrants from a couple generations prior. That would be ironic considering uh, his position, his stated position uh, as an Iranian leader against the nation of Israel, wanting to wipe them off the planet. So God has written the end of the story, but the players don't believe it, right? They don't believe how that's going to end. So we have a situation where Russia, Iran, and, um, and even in the United States, don't, they don't get it, I don't think, oftentimes. The people in the Middle East, they don't value Israel's position in the Middle East. And just the, the former administration, uh, and again, not to get political, there's, I'm not, it just, just is, uh, before the, well, the former now going too back, the, the, the administration under Obama was very, very cold to Israel during the Crimea invasion. I mean, cold as ice, cold as I've ever seen in my lifetime, um, and probably as cold as it's ever been between the U.S. and Israel since Harry Truman, before Harry Truman, when there wasn't a state. So since their, uh, their re-entrance into the land, and, and, you know, by the way, Israel is, a lot of us Christians are going to get nailed uh, because, um, you know, the, 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 the narrative is if you're pro-Israel, you're pro-war. If you're pro-Israel, you're, you're anti-Palestinian. If you're pro-Israel, you're willing to overlook atrocities, blah, blah, blah. And it's not like that at all. The bottom line is I understand, you understand, we understand that Israel, they're lost. They need Jesus as Lord and Savior just as much as any Gentile. But God has a prophetic plan for Israel. Uh, and, uh, and, and of course, uh, we also understand a nation who blesses that nation is going to be blessed, and a nation who doesn't is going to be cursed. That doesn't mean we don't hold on to our wallet as we loan them money. I mean, it just means that, you know, we're wise, and we're not going to turn our back on them, or we shouldn't. Um, and so, but you do have to be careful with any geopolitical negotiation. I'm glad I'm not the guy that does all that, so I'm just a preacher. So I'm an ambassador for Christ, not for the United States of America uh, or Israel or anyone else. So I, I just know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. There's a lot of things that got to get worked out uh, in, the, in those realms. So uh, they do what they do. But God was patient through, through hundreds of years up to 606. And, uh, and God, uh, you know, he eventually uh, had enough. He took Israel out and then he put them back in. And, and God is, is working to get his people where they're going to go prophetically in the book of revelation of course uh as he eventually as fills the 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 promises and the prophecies of the book of romans people don't think of romans as a prophetic book but it is it talks about israel will be restored blindness and part has happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles become in all of those things are already laid out and we understand all of that 
So, um, so Christians should be seeing this today and praying earnestly for the heart and soul of, of this country. I'm talking about our country here in the United States, as well as, as of all these people groups need the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christians should be seeing this today and praying earnestly uh, that God's will be done. It's not because we think we can change history, but we need to share the gospel of Christ and impact eternity while we can. Because a failure to understand our place in, in the process of history will doom us to see people destroyed that Jesus intended to be saved. The choices we make to, uh, to place being American over, over the biblical uh, role of being a Christian will result in an inability to pledge allegiance to either. I'll say that twice. Um, the choices we make to place being an American over being, a, uh, being biblical will result in an ability to pledge allegiance to neither. So what am I saying? Because I could get shot at on that. You're not, you, no, I'm all about America. I'm an American. I was born here. I love it. If I need to die for my nation, go for it. All right? But ultimately, it's most important to be biblical. Because if your allegiance isn't to Christ, eventually you won't be able to have allegiance to anything. Uh, and so it's important to understand how important it is to have a biblical mindset. Because that's what this nation is, is actually uh, if it, without the Bill of Rights, man, we're just another dictatorship. We're just another top-down, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not tyranny, but uh, anybody help me? Well, not a monarchy because it doesn't have to have a monarchy, but uh, uh, it'll come to me. But anyway, we're just another country that is is autocratic, another autocratically ruled country. You can put whatever name you want on it. It's the guys at the top run it, and you do what they say, whether it's a monarchy, whether it's called a democracy, whether it's called a this or that. I mean, we are a fortunate people, and uh, this country's been blessed by God. And so so the choice we make to place uh, being American over, over the Bible is a bad choice. We can't do that, and if we do, we'll have a problem, and it will result in our inability to pledge allegiance to God or to the nation. So the secularization of the United States is the most dangerous and damning philosophy that's ever taken hold. It's ebbed and flowed over the last 150 years since the European Enlightenment, but it's taking root in sinister ways today with the advent of technology and, of course, the spirit of Antichrist. So we are really, really in a big spiritual war right now, and it's not just contained at the borders of the United States. This is a global issue, which is ultimately where we're going with this study. So as we look at the current events, we see the weakness of America because our our president has um, openly uh, supported Israel's enemies. And so we have some weakness. People who uh, were our enemies are allies, and America has bowed uh, to Russia and Syria, Iran and Ukraine, uh, or Iran, and now, uh, we, we are, now we're in it in Ukraine. Uh, went to Crimea, we stayed back. I mean, even with this, it's like, oh, well. Now, I'm not saying we should go over there and start a hot, start a hot war. I'm just saying uh, things are going to work out the way they're going to work out. There's a reason for this. It's because the United States is getting weaker and doesn't have the financial or moral, in my opinion, this is my opinion, the financial or moral resolve to follow her once prominent course. Moral, more than financial. Um, morally, we've, we're losing our way, obviously. Right? It's, uh, it's crazy. And so, uh, no doubt, God has a sovereign plan, but it all boils down to our choices. Uh, America is 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 one of the most dangerous in one of the most dangerous positions she could ever be in, as the current events reveal our inability to negotiate it, and we're in a bad situation. And so, 
<clears throat> at one time, we distanced ourselves from Israel since um, uh, uh, under Obama administration in an attempt to make friends with the Muslims. Remember that? So we tried to make buddies with all, and that resulted in ISIS in Libya, all kinds of problems. You know, that was a mess. Uh, it didn't get us anywhere. The next president comes in, and he makes friends, uh, you know, takes a stronger position, makes friends with, like, the Arabs, the oil people, right? Now, that's gone. As of this last week, the Arabs are like, you know what? In Saudi Arabia, uh, we went back and, 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 and shored up those, those uh, connections for the fuel. And now, as of this last week, they're like, the, the Saudi Arabians are like, forget you, America. We're going we're gonna to work with China. We're going to go with the yuan. That's going to be the, the world currency, and, uh, which it's a reserve currency, as is the dollar. And so that sets up a precarious situation because Saudi Arabia is, has historically been our oil supply. That's how, that's how uh, the United States exerted influence in the Middle East and kept peace where? In Israel, supposedly. And so, uh, and they are at odds, by the way, through Islam, the Shia and the Sunni. Which one is in Iran? I forget. The Shiites are up in in Iran, and then everyone else, the Iraqis and the, and the Arabians. Well, Iraq is actually divided, but the uh, but the Arabians, the Saudis, and a lot of those other uh, uh, Arab countries are Sunni, right? So they're Sunni, and they hate each other. You think you think they hate the West? They hate each other, and they will they will just go after each other. So it behooves the Saudis. Uh, that's one of the reasons they partner with the United States is they want to keep the, they want to keep the Persians off their doorstep. They're not, they're not really happy. They, they're glad when Iran is staying over there on that side of the, of the Gulf. They don't want them crossing the Persian Gulf into their neighborhood. And so there's all of this historical animosity there, and America's exploited that wisely, I would say, over the years. But that's all kind of all of a sudden... Even this week, I mean, this is new news this week. It's up in the air all of a sudden. It's like, whoa, the Saudi prince won't pick up the phone call of the president of the United States, and now he's talking to China about doing an oil deals with them instead of us. I mean, that's huge news, huge news. So anyway, um, and so that's all going on as we speak. I don't know where that's going to end up, but a lot of that, that uh, has backfired at any rate. Uh, the, the Iranians have backed Hezbollah, uh, the PLO, and, uh, and they're literally at the border of Israel ready to fire and have been firing rockets uh, consistently, you know. Uh, and, and they have stated their, their purpose is to destroy Israel. If it were not for the Syrian war, um, Hezbollah would probably be focused on making uh, Lebanon, uh, you know, decimated. And they've already taken over Lebanon. And so uh, Trump restored our relationship with Israel when he was in office and acknowledged Jerusalem as the rightful capital, as we talked about last week. That was a good move. Uh, everyone knew it was the capital, but he actually made, moved the embassy there. That was historic, hadn't been done, and, and that was celebrated on the same date as Israel becoming a nation in 1948. So 40 years later, um, or 70 years, I should say, later, then all of a sudden uh, we acknowledge that. So we talked about that last week. So Russia and Iran are now allies, and uh, the USA is negotiating with Russia at every turn. And so it appears it's because they have an upper hand, who knows, but this is simply a result of foreign policy positions that were stated, started all the way back under the Bush administra administration, and, uh, and so I won't get into all of that for time's sake, but um, uh, back, do you, how many of you remember when Russia was welcomed into NATO? I remember watching that, and I was like sitting back going, what is this? 
they put Russia in the NATO. Of course, since then, they've gotten him out. Um, but uh, that's crazy. That NATO was there to defend us from, not us, but the Europeans from Russia. I mean, that was nuts. So these things have been going on for several years. Two weeks ago, March 3rd, 2022, it was announced that, that Joe Biden will be negotiating a, a new, the new you know, Obama-era peace deal. And again, I know some people listening to this uh, or may get offended because they think I'm talking bad about a president or whatever. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not giving any judgment. I'm just saying this is how it is. This is the reality. Go check it out yourself. Um, um, but but the, the, new, the new deal is the old deal. Uh, that was done by Obama, where you know they brought the money, dumped it on the tarmac, and all of that to to stop spinning the nukes out in Iran, and um, because you don't want to, that you know nobody wants an, a, a nuclear armed Iran, uh, with whose prophecies are such that they get blessed if they blow up Jews, and they die in a in a in a in a war with the Israel, they get the you know Allah's going to bless them. It's like no, we really don't need you guys having nukes. Let's just uh, put a, put the ice on that deal. And so uh, Obama had a plan to pay him off. Um, a lot of people didn't like that plan, whatever. That got put on hold under the previous administration, the new administration right now, Joe Biden, as of like two weeks ago, in the midst of this Ukraine crisis, is sitting down with Russia and China to strike a deal with Persia. What? How in the world? I don't know. Uh now, NBC News, so NBC News, January, in January, NBC News reported on some of these conditions. They included Tehran will be required to stop enriching uranium up to 60% purity and dispose of its current stockpile, possibly by exporting it to Russia, <laughs> along with other restrictions. A key component of the Obama-era Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, JCPOA, was Iran's willingness to park its en enriched uranium, which at the time wasn't as close to weapons grade as the current 60% in Russia. Later, Iran would get the uranium back from Russia if they decided that the U.S. was not complying with its obligations. So that's the deal that they were talking about in January. So all the nukes get to go to Russia. We get to put those in Vlad's hands. So if we don't do our part, he can give them back. Does that sound a little bit like Ezekiel chapter 38, setting itself up? Yeah, I think so. So obviously this is a terrible deal for the United States. Uh, but most importantly, and this is where we get back to our framework, it's worse for Israel. It's much worse for Israel. So um, Vlad would like to take Romania, as I mentioned earlier, as well as Ukraine. And... Um, and so he is not hiding in, uh, you know, the, the, the dude, what's his name? The leader of Ukraine isn't hiding in Romania. But if Vlad could get her an excuse to go into Europe, he would do it. Uh, and I think I got the, I want to give you this picture. Because in the future, yeah, here we go. There's going to be an invasion. And, uh, and that old map's going to come to life. As a matter of fact, my map has Magog instead of Russia. So that's all the contemporary terms. But... Uh, I got a prophetic map in my notes, and it's got all the historic names there. That's a, that's the contemporary names, um, <clears throat> but Russia and Persian prophecy. So let me talk about that for just a moment. The first question that many ask about this event is, you know, what's going to happen? Well, ultimately, ultimately, this is going to happen. There is going to be what you know this Magog invasion, and it's coming down right here in Israel, and these players are going to be involved in it. 
and uh, it's going to get ugly. Um, of course, right now, uh, if you're looking, this is Ukraine. This is Crimea. This is Ukraine. That's a big country in Europe, isn't it? When you look at the, the land mass, so it's a big country. This is Romania. Uh, I think that's Moldova. And I think that's Hungary, if I remember right. This is Poland, Belarus, if I got those right. So, um, and so there's going to be, this, this is all about access to the Black Sea. The oil, the oil comes right out of here, up through Ukraine, the pipeline that they've been talking about to feed Europe and the oil. None of that Iraqi oil uh, is American. So I don't know if what you know about Petro, but all that war fighting in Iraq, none of that oil was for us. That's always been European oil. Um, I learned that after the fact. I was shocked. I was like, you mean we went over there and did all that work and all that oil was for Europe? Yeah, that's, that's how it works. And so we got our oil from Saudi Arabia and other places. So um, just FYI. So Russia and Persia in prophecy. The first question many ask about this event is when. When's this going to happen? And many who place this at, uh, many places at the Battle of Armageddon, and there's a good reason for that. Uh, it is possible uh, that we see this battle in, in, ensuing just before the second coming of Christ. I don't think it is, personally. Um, you'll, get, you'll get like four renditions uh, of where this battle is going to happen. Um, you're going to get... Um, Not Armageddon, I should say, but Magog. There's a, there's a difference here. I'll call it the Magog battle. And I'll be I'll give you I I'm a little foggy on it, so I'm not going to be able to give you the answer with certainty myself. The first is a, it would be a pre um, Daniel seventieth week event. The second is is a is, it, it is a Daniel seventieth uh, week event. All right, and so it's actually in the midst or in the middle, uh, or some believe it's at the, the the first half, and then you could just ditto. Some believe it's the second half, leading up to the uh, uh, Armageddon. I don't know if I spelled that right, but that's how I spelled it tonight. And then others say that, well, it's a revelation. Um, is that 20? Where we where, where Satan's loosed at, at the end of the millennium? Yeah, Revelation 20 event at the end of the millennium. And it's speaking of, of that time where Satan is loosed. And, and, and by the way, it is mentioned, Magog is mentioned there. Uh, so there's there is some reason, uh, you know, to kind of think about that. Of course, if you know much about the Bible, a lot of things recycle, right? So if you live during the time of of um, his name's going to come to me eventually, Antiochus Epiphanes, and you were reading the stories of the Antichrist, you would think Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes was the Antichrist. Because he was an Antichrist, and he was a t wicked man, but he wasn't the Antichrist, right? So some of these things recycle through history, and so, and not all the, a lot of the prophecies were there, but not 
all the prophecies were there, right? So, um, <clears throat> and so this 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 battle that's in Dan, in uh, in uh, Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine. No matter where it falls, and I, I certainly I would personally I, I would I totally don't I don't think so. There was a time I thought that was the case. Or hang on, let me back this up. This one I thought was okay. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Of course, you never think you're wrong. I definitely don't think it's this. It's not part of the first half. Um, I used to think this wasn't a very high percentage, but the more I study this, my my thoughts on this are going up. <clears throat> and of course, this it, it's a shadow of this, but I don't believe that it's, it is not what you see in, in, in Revelation chapter 20. So I don't think this is actually a complete fulfillment of this. I think it's just a kind of a shadow. So... I'm not going to settle that tonight, so if that's why you came, then nobody's going to settle that. All of us have our opinions. We can talk about it afterward, but, uh, but I'm not going to get too, too far in the weeds on that. Other than to say it's going to happen just the way the Bible says it. The first question many ask about this event is when, and there are many who place this at the Battle of Armageddon, as I've mentioned. There are some reasons that are good for that. It's also possible that we see this battle ensuing just before the second coming, um, and it's also possible that the alignment of these nations pr- precipitates the need for a peace agreement uh, that the Antichrist signs, fulfilling Daniel chapter 9 and Revelation chapter 6. And I, there's reasons for that too. So I believe it's possible that the things that we're seeing could uh, be part of an Islamic revival under the Antichrist, which with the, with the pale horse rider that, that culminates at Armageddon in some regards, but I, I don't think it's that way anymore. So I don't really believe that's how it's going to go down. Uh, I'm leaning more toward a free trade campaign uh, that uh, obviously has implications at the second coming. But the more I've studied Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, and the prophecies surrounding Daniel's 70th week, the more I lean toward this occurring uh, before the Revelation 6-1 peace agreement. So I, would, uh, I, I wouldn't set dates, but that would probably at least have to put you 10 years before the abomination of desolation, which is freaky because we're like, the rapture could happen any time, and it can one of the things that I do teach in Revelation that I don't, you don't hear everywhere is there's an assumption that as soon as the catching away of the church happens, it then immediately starts the tribulation, which is highly likely. Um, but also, it doesn't have to happen that way. We could go up, and God could put a buffer there before he actually starts the actual events as Daniel's 70th week. There's nothing saying he, he can do whatever he wants there. There's nothing saying one way or the other. So we really don't know. But... Um, um, having said that, there's room for God to, and God leaves things open, I believe, like that, so he can do what God does. I mean, God is working out his plan. It will go down the way he wants it to, and it will be fulfilled exactly as it said. So, so I, I, there, there's the reasons I don't think this is Armageddon, uh, after looking at it further, uh, is Israel will not be living in peace as the Antichrist will be persecuting the saints. The Jews will be, you know, responding, uh, believing Jews to the two witnesses in Matthew 24, at the abomination of desolations in the midpoint of the trip, they're going to be fleeing to the wilderness. Just none of the scenario leading up to the Daniel or the Ezekiel thirty-eight, thirty-nine prophecy seemed to line up with the tribulation context. So uh, it's hard for me to fit that. It's like a square peg in a round hole for me. Uh, maybe you can come up with it, and that's great. But I, I'm not seeing it that way. Um, let me back up here and show you something. Um, so these historic nations. Um, even if you're not sure of the exact placement of the events, uh, we know that Ezekiel 38 speaks to the culmination of the prophecy 
of the foreign policy decisions listed above, and that Syria and Russia um, and, um, you know, of course, all these nations that are listed share in how all this will come out. And so the, the ancient nations are listed there. Uh, the land of Magog is, is modern Russia. We laid that out. Uh, Meshech and Tubal, uh, Moscow and Tobolsk, uh, two Russian capitals. They can also be placed, by the way, in, uh, in Turkey, and I think God leaves that open too. Uh, I don't think it's an either-or situation. I think Turkey plays a big part in that, and they're getting closer with Russia too every day as we draw closer. And so uh, Turkey will be a big part of that invasion, I believe, uh, to, into Syria. They already hate each other. And then there's Persia, which is Iran. Um, and then there, in, in Iraq are some Persians. The, the, as a matter of fact, some of our dearest friends and f- warm friends are Persian descent. That would be, who's those guys in the north in Iraq? Uh, who? The Kurd, Kurdistan, yeah. The, Kurdis, the Kurds are actually Persian descent. Interestingly enough, that's why they don't mix well with the South. Uh, and so interestingly enough, though, they're, they're very warm and friendly to the United States. They're kind of out there. I, I kind of feel sorry for those guys. Afghanistan, of course. Um, and then you have Ethiopia and Sudan, which are still there, of course, uh, historically. Those people groups. Libya is still there. Uh, Ashkenaz, that's not something that we uh, speak of. That, that would be modern Austria, right? So that's a... That's the home of uh, a guy named Adolf Hitler. Austria, he was actually not German, he was Austrian. And then Gomer, which is Germany, and uh, uh, Togomara, which is Turkey. And, uh, and so uh, many peoples with thee, so various nations allied to Russia. Okay, so in your Bible, look in Ezekiel chapter 38, and I've got 10 minutes, and I will probably not do this justice, but we'll, and I've got to wrap this up, don't I? Okay, so let me look here. I'm actually closer than I thought. Let me run through this as quick as I can. Ezekiel chapter 38, you can read this entire thing on your own, but let me just kind of push into this a little bit. I touched on it last time. Ezekiel 38, 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog. Gog's the leader, as we've established, and the land of Magog, which is Russia, uh, and those peoples in that area between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea going north into uh, Russia today. The chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, Turkey. Turkey is Tubal. And, the, and prophesy against them. And uh, and so, um, well, Tubal is Tubalisk, I should say. Um, and so, and prophesy against them. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And, uh, and, and many would say that's Moscow and Tubalisk. And I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses, horsemen, all them that are clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company, with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, verse 5, is Iran. Ethiopia, we need no translation. And Libya, need no translation. With them, all of them with shield and helmet. Is Libya our friend? Not since we beat up on Muammar Gaddafi, took him out. He was going to start his own gold standard, and we came in and put a stop to that. And so um, so Gomer and all his bands, which is Germany, and the house of Togomar, which is Armenia, of the north, quarters and all his bands and many people with thee as we've already read be thou prepared and prepare thyself uh, thou and thy company that are assembled unto thee and be thou guard unto them after many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out uh, of many people they're talking about israel and against the mountains of israel which have been uh, always waste but it is brought forth out of the nations 
and they shall dwell safely of them. And that'd be Israel, 1948. Of course, they're, you know, they're safer now than they've ever been because of the Iron Dome and all of that. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Now, this is speaking of this alliance. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. So there's going to be a window of time when Gog is, is credited as the leader. This, this, uh, this leader is going to take this band of nations, these united nations, uh, are going to come down and sweep over uh, Israel. So let me go back to that slide. It'll look like that. And those are the players. Um, and who's not listed there is also as educational as who is. And I probably will not have time to get into that as much as I wanted to. But um, he goes on, for time's sake, I'm going to keep going. In verse 11, And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest and dwell safely. All of them will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest and dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take spoil and to take prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle, goods, and dwell in the midst of the land. Now, that would sound like, oh, maybe that's a Revelation 6-1 prophecy, but the problem is by the, uh, you know, there's no record of this occurring in the tribulation per se. Uh, I don't really think that is accurate. I used to kind of think that's what was going on. Okay, verse 13. Sheba, Arabia, and Dedan, Arabia, and the merchants of Tarshish, Spain, uh, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, and take away cattle and goods, and take great spoil? Now, this is an interesting prophecy, and I didn't, I didn't actually highlight this in my notes, but one of the questions that I have had is what happens to the United States? Where are they at in all of this? Well, you, that's about what you get to see right there, is they say, um, art thou come to take spoil? Hast thou gathered the company to take prey? To carry? It's like they protest. You know, what are you doing? And that's it. You know, what are you doing? It's sort of like a replay of what we're already seeing. What are you doing in Georgia? You can't do that. What are you doing in Crimea? You can't do that. What are you doing in Ukraine? You can't do that. Oh, Yeah. I've been doing it. So they're going to probably scream. What are you doing? We're taking over Israel. <laughs> that's what they're going to be doing. Well, they're not. We haven't gotten to the end, right? But that's what they're thinking. Therefore, son of man, um, prophesy and say unto God. Now, this is where God intervenes. Thus saith the Lord God. There's no record of any defense coming from outside. Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people Israel dwelleth safely, thou shalt know, not know it, and thou shalt come from the place out of the north parts, thou and many people with me, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army, and thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in, in the latter days that I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou... He whom I have spoken in old time by my servant, the prophets Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them. And it shall come to pass at the time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely, now here's that day. That day is the day of the Lord. 
That's also why I would, I would think it could be at the, at the second coming. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking of the land of Israel, which there will be, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of, the, of, of heaven and the beasts of the field and the creeping things that creep upon the earth and all uh, the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him through my mountains, saith the Lord God, every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him with the pestilence and with the blood, and I will rain upon him. The enemies, the enemy will slay themselves, and upon his bands and upon many people that are with him, and the overflowing of rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now this looks a lot like Armageddon. And it could be, like a, again, a, a shadow. Uh, this, again, could happen twice, I believe. Um, in, the, in the second coming, though, before the second coming, all the nations gather, not just some of the nations. And, uh, and they're fighting against the Antichrist. And then, of course, they turn and have to fight Jesus because Jesus Christ comes and destroys everybody, including the Antichrist, uh, which, gives it, which is a little bit different than what happens with the outcome of Ezekiel 38 and 39. So the text is pretty clear. Once we know that the, the, the characters, we see, now we've got to see what, how God defends Israel. We know that the United States isn't part of the equation, and we can see today why that is. It's either because we cannot defend Israel, um, we don't exist because of some nuclear war or some other, uh, something else has happened in North America, uh, or a number of other scenarios. The worst scenario is the one that we are seeing played out um, you know, of just weakness. That would be sad. But that's, it is what it, it will be. I have things I wanted to talk about that I, I can't. But uh, with the oil, I do think the oil situation and the currency situation could play a big part in that and what makes uh, us and our, and our need to be beholden to China at this point. I mean, you can't even get on the air and say anything negative about China or on YouTube without getting knocked off, right? So the technology that and the relationship we have with China is very tenuous at this point. Um, and so I do believe that, uh, you know, and this is my speculation. Let me be clear about this. I'm not quite sure, but I notice, you know, when you look at the Euphrates being dried up and the armies coming over, I mean, millions of people, that looks like, that looks like China's coming in, the, in, the, in Armageddon. Uh, in this case... Um, not so sure that that is the same battle. That could be one of the reasons you don't see America getting heavily involved because we are beholden to someone else at that time that would keep us out of the out of there. Could be because of a currency issue, a trade deficit, uh, you know, whatever it might be, um, or you know, it could be a hostile takeover. Who knows? We don't really know. So those are things we don't know. But it is what it is. So when you get into chapter thirty-nine, and I gotta I gotta stop here, but let me just quickly touch on a few things. It talks about the weapons that, that God, he goes, therefore thou son of man prophesy against Gog. So specifically, there's a prophecy against Gog. And God says, I'm against thee, uh, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, um, the two capitals of Russia, if you do call those uh, Tubalisk and, and uh, Moscow. And verse 5, thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God, I will send a fire on Magog among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will let them uh, not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I, I have spoken. And, and by the way, it, Russia has not blessed Israel. They've cursed Israel for the most part. Putin is friendly with Israel right now, 
Uh, and so if it is, if Putin ends up being Gog, something's going to change and he's going to want to invade if this happens before the rapture. But uh, that may be also why before the rapture, they don't come in and China does. They kind of switch places if it, if it plays out with scenario number uh, number one. So um, anyway, I could go on, but time's running out. Verse 9, And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set fire and burn the weapons. An interesting thing about the weapons, and if you read this, they talk about burying the bodies, and the weapons burn for seven years. So you've got to have a seven-year window where these weapons are being burned. And there's a, there's a hypothesis out there uh, that the weapons that will be burned are uh, actually uh, the composite of the Netherlands. They're called light, light something, light bond. Light, I can't remember. But there's actually, uh, and I checked into this, and I think it's actually real, uh, that some of the modern weaponry is being, it's a composite of wood. And it also serves as an incredible uh, fuel. It's a fuel source. So the, the, the hypothesis is that, and when you read it closely, that does appear that they're going to be, it says that they shall, and they shall burn them with fire seven years so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire. So a lot of people surmise that that is the, is the contemporary composite weapons of, of the Soviets, that with the technology that actually comes from Denmark, where they make a wood composite that's very highly, uh, um, it's not highly flammable, like it's combustible like that, but it's actually full of energy. So it's a, it's a good source of fuel. And they'll have seven years' worth of fuel burning off all the weapons. And, of course, you can read that on your own and look at the burying of the dead bodies. But let me conclude because I'm out of time. The things that we're seeing today uh, are not all the necessarily... They're not... Someone who thinks that what's going on today in, in Ukraine is this, they're totally off. And there are some wackos out there that will try to twist the Scripture to make you think that, you know, Jerusalem is Kiev and all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, just ignore all that. It's silliness. Russia's Russia. Gog is Gog. Now, I'm not saying Putin is Gog. I don't know. It's the way God does history. He could just be a forerunner of Gog. I don't know. The office is certainly there. The nation is certainly there. The enemies are certainly there. Everything in prophecy is there. And I, what I do know is what the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 and 39 will happen. I have a couple of place marks where I think it'll happen, could happen. I won't tell you which one I think is probably most likely because... I will argue because none of us will agree. And God, is, the good thing, I can say this with confidence, God has left it a little foggy on purpose. Uh, he's left some things there, you know, to kind of make you go, well, I think this, but, and he's done that on purpose so he can fulfill the prophecy exactly the way it's written and the way it's going to be done. And it will be done. And what is going on in geopolitical events today is directly related to how this prophecy is going to be fulfilled without a doubt. And so we are living... In Bible times, right? Now, if you ever doubted that, how could you? But one of the things the atheist says is this book, this book, you can't believe it. It's a bunch of stories. Hey, listen, this book is so far ahead of tomorrow's paper, it's unbelievable. <clears throat> one of the reasons you can believe in who Christ Jesus is is because of what this book says about him. You can't miss it. His triumphal entry, his death on the cross, what he was thinking on the cross, the fact that he would resurrect from the dead, the fact that he's alive, the fact that he's going to come back, the fact that he's going to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem, in Israel, all of it. The day of the Lord's coming, just as he said, and we can bank on it. And so there's, there is no way to miss it. We know that the war uh, the, eventually will make its way to Israel. We know also there will be a, an Antichrist. There will be a false Pax Romana. There will be a seven-year tribulation. There will be an abomination of desolations in the midst of that. There will be a second coming at the end of the tribulation, and we will return. 
We were caught up at the beginning, come back at the end. <coughs> and uh, we will see Jesus Christ bring peace to this earth ultimately. And uh, that is what we're looking for, is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So <coughs> the good thing for us as Christians is we're not looking for signs and wonders. Uh, it, we already know that we are not facing the wrath of God. No matter what happens geopolitically, we're commanded in, in, in uh, Colossians to set our affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. Right? What I said earlier is so important. You have to, as a Christian today, make sure that your allegiance is to Jesus Christ first and foremost. If you want to help your country, if you're in Russia and you're listening to this, you want to help the Russians, make your allegiance to Jesus Christ. If you live in mainland China right now, and, and you can hear this, if I haven't been shut off, and I tell you what, if you want to help your country, make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. If you're, if, you're in, in, uh, if you're in a Muslim country, if you're under persecution in Persia, man, you're already doing it, man. Make Jesus first. Show us how it's done. You know, because at the end of the day, Jesus is the priority, and, uh, and he is the key. The geopolitical factors are going to continue to follow the course of Gentile history as, as prophesied by Daniel. Uh, and so it will end with Rome. And I didn't even get to that in my video. I had a video to show you. <coughs> a, key, a key component to where all this is heading is to um, the Antichrist himself. And uh, time will not permit me to get into all of this, but eventually these fellows, and especially this guy here, is going to be bringing, and I, I don't know if it's him in particular, one, someone in his office is going to be a big player in trying to settle all this down and ultimately usher in the Antichrist. And that puts us back into our study of the book of Revelation. And so go back and listen to that study, and you'll go back to all of that. This is, these are contemporary pictures, of course, and uh, this is the world religions coming together. I wasn't invited to that for some reason. But at any rate, uh, I wouldn't have gone anyway. But uh, I tell you what, guys, um, uh, they'll, they'll, come in on a, they'll come in helping the guy on the white horse, Revelation 6.1, before it's all said and done. And, uh, and so there's a lot of crazy things that are going to be happening in history in the near future. And they're already starting to happen. So just keep your, keep your head on the swivel, but keep your mind on things above. Keep your face in this book and know the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. Share the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. Plug into the local church. Build God's church as the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? All right. I probably leave, Let's do this. I'm going to pray. And, and if you have questions, I'm going to do that after the fact because uh, I'm out of time. I need to get everybody out. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to get together. Lord, I, I've ran out.